Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Ocelli Effect is sponsored by WallStreetWindow.com and listeners like you. And now, and now, the most, the most underrated voice in all, in all media, Chuck Ocelli. May 22, 2023, allegedly, according to that thing we call a calendar. And this is the show you were looking for. How do I know that? Because you're hearing me say what I'm saying. And if you're watching us on Rockfin, you might be seeing me, too. My apologies. I do have a face for radio. But it is Moon Day, Monday, and it's the first broadcast day of the week at Ocelli.com. And we are kicking it off with something that I have not delved into often as of late. Why? Okay. Let's just get straight on into this. Jordan Maxwell was uh, was a friend of mine for a bit, and we did a lot of presentations together. You can still find that uh, one of the things I didn't delete from the publicly accessible stuff on Ocelli.com, if you search for Jordan Maxwell, uh, I'm sure you'll find uh, about 40 presentations on there with him and I over the years uh, easily. They're not all there, but most of them still publicly accessible. Uh, you'll find that uh, they used to be up on YouTube and some others have taken them and reposted them on YouTube. Uh, no permission, no contact with me or anything. They're allowed to put my stuff on YouTube, but I am not. <laughs> okay, that's fine. And that was part of the thing with Jordan is that when we uh, really started to work together on the long series, he insisted that I made sure that none of it was put behind a paywall and things like this. And, uh, that was his only condition. He approached me and wanted to make sure that we did sort of definitive series on a couple of different topics. Well, we did the dogmatic theology series. That was done at 25 episodes, although only 24 of them were made public. And we started another one, astrotheology. All right. Is it related? Absolutely. Is it the core of what Jordan Maxwell presented and gifted to the majority of us? Indeed, it was. Uh, is it the thing that resonated throughout so many people's work? I mean, I don't have time to list it all. And I'm certainly not going to sit here and list it all because I've got a guest tonight who is going to, guess what, bring us back through some of that work and also do it in a slightly different way than what Jordan used to. I mean, Jordan certainly had a routine after a while. And yet got a little bit strange toward the end, and I was very sad when my friend sometimes would come and record something with me, and I didn't even feel as though I could honestly release it because it might have appeared to make it as though Jordan wasn't quite himself, wasn't quite all together after a stroke and things like that. So we started the Astro Theology series, as I said, and we only got three episodes in. It was planned for 30. Never got there and 
Jordan just sort of put it aside. He had felt quite drained after the stroke and this and that. But that was about two years before he died. He did make a few other appearances on my show. I'm really, really sad still that I was not able to go out and see him for his birthday in Los Angeles only weeks before he passed away. Uh, I, I certainly wanted to. He wanted me to come see him. But unfortunately, that was not my fate. Um, we had an interesting relationship, and I learned that, quite frankly, Jordan had relationships that he compartmentalized between other individuals. And I haven't talked about this on air. Again, I'm going to tell you why I'm talking about it in just a moment. But here's the thing. Just because you were his friend didn't mean that you shared information or he even allowed you to know about another friend of his. <laughs> um, he was very protective of himself because he had to be. People ripped him off, not only in person, but in other ways. They literally stole his name. There are people out there today making money off of videos that he recorded. His intellectual property. Still making money, even though he's dead, people are still taking advantage of him. This is why I stressed every single time he was on my show, no, you go to the one website, which was jordanmaxwellshow.com. That was the only website that was his. Everything else out there, sorry, was run by somebody else. Was somebody else making money off of Jordan's name? Anyway, it was fascinating because I got an approach from various people over the years about, well, Jordan Maxwell agreed with me. Jordan Maxwell endorsed me. Jordan Maxwell taught me. Now, indeed, he taught a lot of us. But did he personally teach a lot of people? Not really. There were a handful of people, that's for sure. Jeffrey Matt's been on here. He called Jordan his mentor, and it's true. He actually lived with Jordan for a while. There are other people that I know lived with Jordan, worked with Jordan directly, in truth. There are very few people that really were Jordan's good, good friends, and oddly enough, I actually have somebody on here who was toward the end of Jordan's life, about eight years after I entered into his life, two years, the last two years or so, somewhere in that time period, Micah Dank got, well, familiar with Jordan. And why? Because the universal concepts that Jordan shared with the world and literally have resonated in and people have plagiarized and people have picked up on and whole films are made out of. TV shows have been made out of. Documentary series have been made out of. Yeah, not even with Jordan's endorsements. Sometimes they've even used his image, his words directly, and there was almost nothing he could do about it most of the time. But interestingly enough, Micah Dank is somebody who... and said, oh, well, thank you. Someone has actually picked up part of what I was doing, and they're doing it the right way. He actually endorsed Micah's work. Now, I heard this claim. I was told this by third parties. And I said to myself, oh, boy, do we have another a person trying to steal from Jordan Maxwell? Do we have another person trying to capitalize on his name? Uh, no, we don't. We actually have somebody who got friendly with Jordan and, um, frankly, has done a lot of work on his own has studied some esoteric things that we're going to get into tonight. And I'm going to shut up real soon. I promise. Um, and uh, quite frankly, I'm going to need to because this visual presentation is going to be important. If you're hearing the audio, you're going to want to go check out the visual. But I think it'll all translate rather nicely. Anyhow, Micah Dank, um, I've given people a lot of hints here as to the uh, backstory, so to speak. <laughs> and I think it's been fair enough. But uh, 
there's a bunch of things I'm probably never going to be able to share in good conscience on air that were personal between me and Jordan, believe it or not. And it's funny, even the details of his life and things like that that went on, there are people that were close friends of his that maybe didn't know certain things, and yet there's another group of people that did. It's very, very mysterious. It, it, it almost reminds me of the, uh, what was that, the uh, the, the, the Marquis of, of St. George or whatever it was, right? That, that interesting uh, figure in history who shows up and he's an alchemist. I, I bet you know what I'm talking about, in fact. <laughs> but... Um, Interesting character in history there that shows up and everybody's got different ideas about his background, who he was and everything else. And, and no, don't send me the letters about uh, Russell Pine and this wasn't his real name. And uh, I, I know who Jordan Maxwell was. I know who he was. I know what his legal fiction was. And I also know what he did. And the most important thing is that he educated a whole world of people, whether they know it or not, and uh, informed all of us one way or another especially if you're in the alternative world of thinking and uh, analyzation when it comes to religion, society, culture, symbolism, etc. Anyway, Micah, sorry, I went through a long introduction there because I thought it was necessary. What are your thoughts on what I had to say? It's absolutely perfect. And I don't care what his birth name was. I don't care what the story with that is. I mean, everybody online has a pseudonym. Like, who cares? What does that have to do with anything? Honestly, what does it have to do with anything? Jordan um, touched my life in 2012. Um, my first video I ever saw, and I'd always been deep in, in studying things for a very, very long time in the esoteric and the occult, but he came, I came across a video where he gave a lecture on uh, Saturn worship, and um, it just blew my mind. In fact, the first astrotheology topic that I ever heard from him was when he's talking about how <clears throat> the disciples are asking Jesus where they're going to have the Passover. And he says, go into town and you see a man with a water pitcher. Follow him to his house. Now, each zodiac sign is called a house, and the man with the water pitcher is Aquarius. But he also made this distinction where he talked about how um, carrying water was not a male job. It was a female job. It was very gendered, and a man wouldn't be caught dead with that. And between that and, and the way he breaks down words, and every time I catch a video that I've never seen, I learn something new. Um, my work, I have an eight-book series out um, where I teach astrotheology uh, through uh, – it, it's like a mix between 1984 meets Da Vinci Code because um, that's how you have to bring it to the masses. Um, I see a lot of astrotheologists out there that – I mean, he was so attacked – constantly from everyone, but I don't have patience for that. Like I, I, I just put my stuff out there just brutally. It's just a different generation. He really paved the way. The most mind blowing thing out of everything is that he would go into libraries and he would piece this piecemeal by books. You know, he, there was no internet when he started doing this in 59 and just to hear him, I'm going to give you the first half of my presentation tonight. Um, I have a very interesting way of teaching astrotheology. I'm very, I could take a person off the street that's never seen it. And by the end of the first hour, they will get a feel of it. Um, whereas for Jordan, you already have to have some sort of esoteric or occult, or you have to kind of be in that community a little bit to kind of 
pick up what he's putting down because uh, it's not going to make sense if you're brand new to Jordan's work, um, which is where my work is a little bit different. Um, but he is my influence. In my first book, he's the first name that I credited uh, in my dedication page. And um, it's just my life is my life is what it is now because of him. Right. And as you said, look, it, it, it's more than half a century that he put out this work. And, um, you know, again, he, he invented this stuff. I mean, why, why do people in America know who David Icke is, no matter what you think of David Icke? Well, uh, frankly, Jordan brought him here. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, why is it that people know about a lot of this stuff? Uh, the Zeitgeist movies, which created quite a stir. Uh, in the early part of this century, right? You know, the, the, the videos that were being given out, the Venus Project, all that stuff. Um, guess where the basis of it is, uh, in Jordan's work? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I even replayed some stuff from the 1980s on, on my show, uh, during his tribute and all that to give people a mm-hmm. sense of it. But the truth is, like you said, you, you can't even begin to appreciate, uh, how it is he put those things together. I mean, he was friends with Manly P. Hall. That's a whole other story. Uh, and of if you course. know about about that library, uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot to it. But again, I like the fact that, you see, Jordan did at one point have a way of reaching the masses in a pedestrian way, the way that you do. Mm-hmm. But what happened is the culture changed. If you were talking about the 1980s, okay, because here's the thing, Mike, you're a little younger, I think, than me. I think so. How, how, what is your age about? I'm turning 40 this year. Yeah, see, okay. I, I'm, and I know I'm a baby in this field. I'm a baby in this field. Right. I mean, but, but I'm 51, right? So I'm, I'm sort of like your, your older brother's generation, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which, uh, which is cool. Uh, but see, Jordan in the 1980s, when he didn't have a tremendous audience, but he had the underground flair, it was pedestrian. So here's the thing. As things evolved, Jordan, didn't quite evolve the same way as far as being able to relate to people. If you if you were into it and you mm-hmm. started to get some of the basics, like you said, if you had the uh, the primers, you were all set. Uh, but as things changed and the primers, the, the, the cultural primers sort of changed, it disconnected him a bit. Uh, it still it didn't matter to me. It resonated perfectly with me because I was born in the 70s, so made perfect sense. I remember when you had to go to a library to research things, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, indeed, that is true. I, I took a look at uh, uh, the entire presentation that you were doing, and I'm going to, again, I'm shutting up quick. But I wanted to make sure people understood this, that really what it is, your adaptation is a little more modern. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't be surprised, though, if eventually, and I want you to tell people where they can get your book series uh, and all that, sure. too, so don't forget. But sure. um, the thing is, it's a little more modern, and it makes sense that you, generationally, being half Jordan's age, would mm-hmm. have a more modern approach, um, which is why he liked the conversations back and forth with him and I. People used to write to me, get angrily, and say, you interrupt Jordan too much. Um, Jordan insisted that I interrupt him. <laughs> to ask him the questions, to link it back and make it more relatable to people younger than himself, because he recognized that. He recognized that things were changing. And, indeed, that was one of the key elements that, that he appreciated about what you were doing. And I got this from a reliable source that uh, this was the step forward. This this was the better way to go to make it more relatable. It's, it's going to sound very familiar, folks. I'm just telling you now, it's going to sound very familiar. And if you're familiar with Jordan's work on this subject, or even if you caught those 
you're on my website. You caught the first three uh, episodes that we did of Astro Theology. It's going to make perfect sense where we're at here, except I took six hours to do something with Jordan that uh, Mike is about ready to tackle in an hour here. So with that, I'm going to shut up and uh, uh, turn it back over to you. But, again, tell people where they can go to get your stuff because uh, I will yeah, forget. I have, so I have a website. I have a website. It's debunkme.com. And um, you go to debunkme.com, and all my books are laid out there. The order that you have to read them in are there. All my astrotheology work, um, from Sumerian tablets to the Babylonians to the Egyptians to the Jews, the Christians, the Muslims, the Book of Mormon, the Apocrypha, the Gnostic texts, the Colburn Bible, all of these are rooted in astrotheology. And I show that in, in, in my website. There's also a section on it at the bottom where you can send me an email. Um, I have merchandise too. Um, not to basically show that, but my book series is basically teaches astro theology in, in a way that is relatable to the masses. Um, one of the things I really appreciated was Jordan's nonfiction books that he published. I have all of them. Um, and it was no nonsense. There's there's barely any pictures, and it's just line after line of information. Uh, whereas I teach by fiction. Um, I teach through 1984 meets Da Vinci Code. That's my book series. It's called Into the Rabbit Hole series. Mm. And there's eight books so far. I even have a kid's astrotheology book called A is for Aries. That's on the website, too. It's debunkme.com. It has a link to my YouTube, which breaks down information as well, too. That's where it's all. I'm going to have to get a copy of that that children's book from you. That's for sure. (laughs) Because I think that's probably the best one to start with for a lot of people. And uh, it's for six to 11 year olds. And yes. Yeah, I have an eight year old. So perfect. Actually, he'll be uh, nine soon, according to how you count birthdays, right? Uh, So, you know, by all means, uh, I'm going to have to get a a signed copy of that from you at some point. Sure. Absolutely. Let's start with a definition here. People are going, okay, yeah, we love Jordan. We love the fact that he broke down symbols. He talked about government and all that. Look, government's not necessary in this discussion tonight. But uh, symbolism, how it works, he would point to things. He would show you, look, words have meaning, but they have been co-opted and adopted and adapted over the years. He did that. Um, How would you define astrotheology? Somebody who tunes in and goes, look, what the hell are they talking about? Astrotheology, the best and most simple way that you could define it, is you break it down, astro, so the stars, theology, the theology of them. So it's basically um, the zodiac. And I use the zodiac and I use the uh, Ptolemy's list from 150 AD of the 48 constellations. I use those two things because that was around the time the Bible was written for what they knew about. Um, there's keywords in each zodiac sign, which I'm going to break down for you, and it's a cipher. And based on the words that apply to the sign, you find these keywords in it. And then you go chapter by chapter throughout whatever ancient holy text you want. And you highlight all of them. And then what you do is you put it on a, a spreadsheet. And you'll realize this one's talking about Gemini. This one's talking about Taurus. This one's talking about Aries. Holy crap, it just made three signs in a row. 
You know, they talk about opposing signs. They talk about connecting signs. Um, they always show patterns. It basically maps out the heavens. It's star poetry. That's what it is. That's how you glorify God in the ancient times, through the creation. You write poetry about it, and it was encoded and embedded, and that's what my work basically shows. Right. So astrology meets theology, that's a guarantee. And here's the thing. Uh, I, I've talked about it many times, and uh, obviously with Jordan many times, where we would say, look, uh, the Bible itself, we, you know, the pedestrian thing, the Bible, okay, the book, mm-hmm. uh, look, that is – not a historical document, but it is the truth. How is it the truth? Well, you have to know how to read it. Uh, and that was a line that him and I repeated back and forth uh, in different ways over the years in public uh, because it was the most accurate way to put it. Um, so well, I've gotten even more accurate. To be honest with you, there's a quote that I use that I'm probably going to read to you. It's from a guy named John Dominic Croissant. And he says, it's not that the ancients told literal stories. And we're now smart enough to take them symbolically. It's that they told them symbolically, and we are now dumb enough to take them literally. <laughs> That's perfect, actually. It is. Yeah. Okay. So, and you also have some visual things that you're going to present, uh, which I might try to describe as we go forward. So, now that I've asked you to define it, and we've given a bit of backstory and everything else, so mm-hmm. let's let's get into it. Let's go. Let's go forward. All right. So let me know when you can see this. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I got it. Okay. So employ your time uh, in improving yourself by other men's writings so that you shall come easily by what others have labored hard for. And that is That's attributed Socrates. to Socrates. Yes. So between between Jordan and mine, you have 60 years worth of knowledge on a particular subject that we can condense so that you can get the gist and understand it. What I do is basically, this is an intro to astrotheology. So this is going to teach you astrotheology, and it's not going to go too, too deep into it. But it's going to bring a person off the street. You yank someone off the street. You put them in front of this PowerPoint, you listen to this, and it's money. So that was Socrates. Now, the Bible, as you guys can see, is made up of holy sciences, metaphysics, astrological, which I teach and Jordan taught, anatomical, alchemical, spiritual, esoteric, and mythology. It's also a gematria, numerology, and an etymology book. There's 10 holy sciences in the Bible. Each of them you need to study as long as Jordan or I have. 
There is more to know in the Bible than you can learn in an entire lifetime, and it's to humble you. That's what it is. You cannot learn all this information in a lifetime. I am still learning things from the astrology. The Bible, it's important to know. It's not literal. It's not history. It's not reality. And it's not even original. Although it is the most amazing book ever written. Now, this is the Zodiac. Okay? And Cancer is at the top and Capricorn's at the bottom. This is how the wheel should look. <clears throat> so let me ask Esther, you about that quickly. All right, because yeah. you showed me a, a typical Zodiac wheel again for those of you that are hearing just the audio. Uh, now, I'm accustomed to, again, I, I, I'm an Aries, right? I'm right. accustomed to uh, Aries being at the top because it's the first sign of the Zodiac, they say, right? Well, um, okay. Why do we have cancer at the top? Sorry, go ahead. Why do we have cancer at the top of this wheel? So cancer is at the top because at the very top you have the summer solstice. So Right there at the very bottom, you have the winter solstice. This is actually off by a few degrees. I have to twist it a little bit. But basically, the Gemini Cancer line, that should be the very top. That's the summer solstice. That's when the sun's at its height. That's the longest day, shortest night of the year. At the bottom of the wheel is Sagittarius Capricorn uh, dividing line, right, which is the shortest day of the year and the longest day of the year. I'm shortest day of the year and the longest night of the year. So that's why it's done this way, because what you do is you're the sun and you're walking to the left a degree a day as you walk alongside the hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell talks about it. And you make your way to the summer solstice and then you continue your way back down to the winter solstice and then you repeat the pattern. Now, I just want to stress to the listener that there there is a good reason why. Micah is reordering this. And, and, and again, uh, another guest I have often, we, we call the calendar that we all use, uh, the Pope's work schedule for a reason. It is not mm-hmm. the literal astrological calendar. It's not a legitimate calendar. This one that we have all lived by by convention. Uh, what you're looking at, if you're seeing the video of this, is a legitimate calendar and it's based on the seasons. It actually had practical use. Um, I've taken many years, probably uh, about as many as you've been alive, Micah, (laughs) Mm -hmm. studying pagan, uh, you know, pagan methodologies. So, yeah, there there was a a common use for exactly this, and uh, it it had to do with survival, believe it or not, because if you didn't understand. It does. does. So when I say the Bible is astrotheology, if I were to break that down even further, what I could say is the Bible is an encoded farmer's almanac astrotheologically speaking that's the best way to describe it it's an encoded farmer's almanac there you go i'm sorry i'm adding into your presentation please continue. no 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 please it's fine so astrotheology or astrology i should say goes back to something called the lascaux caves which are in france which are in lascaux france that's why they're called the lascaux caves they're seventeen thousand to forty thousand years ago here you see two articles, the Lascaux Cave paintings, 17,000 years ago. And then on the right, you said world's oldest cave paintings show humans understood complex astronomy 40,000 years ago. What are the Lascaux Caves? Well, some teenagers went into one of them. And when they went into one of them, they went to the back of the cave. They went all the way in. And when they went to the back, they saw this. Now you see the... Uh, for uh, people who aren't looking, these are etchings onto uh, the wall. Uh, on the top left is the bull. On the right is the many faces of the lion. On the bottom is the horse. 
and these right. teenagers. Now, before you go any further, uh, you mentioned the date on these caves, and, and you made an interesting point uh, in a presentation. I'd like you to make it now about the dating on this because, you know, many people will begin to argue the moment you tell them that something was discovered in an archaeological way, oh, well, they dated at this. Well, they've been told in a lot of places that uh, carbon dating is, is nonsense and this and that. Would you mind addressing that before you go any further? Yeah, okay. So to be fair, that's a lot of uh, Christians would say that. They say carbon dating is inaccurate. And to their credit, they're right. They're actually right. Carbon dating is inaccurate. However, it's not the complete truth. See, carbon dating, carbon-14 dating, is actually accurate up to 50,000 years. But when you start to get into the hundreds of thousands or the millions, it's nonsense. It, it doesn't break down like that. There's other forms of uranium dating. There's other carbon datings. They have all this stuff out there. That's fine. But they used carbon-14 dating on this, and it came out to 17,000 years, which is within 50,000. Well, right. what they found, what they found, was, uh, and they found that the, these bulls, this is Taurus, the lion is Leo, and the bottom is the horse is Sagittarius. It's just missing the guy with the bow and the arrow on it. So what they realized was that this is astrological. So what they did was they brought in a computer and they brought in an astronomer. And what the astronomer did with the computer, because the technology was there, was he rewound the sky back 17,000 years to see what the stars looked like. And they printed it out. And when they printed it out and superimposed it on the cave paintings, on the wall, all the constellations lined up. So they knew this. 17,000 years ago, they had the handle on the Zodiac. Now, there are questions that you can ask in the Bible. How Jesus was able to heal the blind how he walked on water, how he turned water into wine, why he had 12 disciples, why he was betrayed with a kiss by Judas, why he was dead for three days, why is his birthday on December 25th. I will get into all of this, but this is all astrology. That's what it is. Now, Genesis 1.14 says, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. And that's basically what this is. Now, each zodiac is called, or each zodiac sign is called a house, right? Or an era, or an eon, or a sign. There are many words for it. Age. So what I'm going to do now right? is I'm going to teach you guys. Yeah. And age is another word for it, right? Age, yes. Okay, sorry, different words for it. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to teach you the 12 signs in detail. And I'm going to give you key words that are going to make complete sense with the signs. And that will be the cipher. And then we're going to apply those words to biblical passages, and I'm going to show you the patterns it makes in the heavens. So the first sign I talk about is Aquarius, which is the man with the water pitcher. Now, technically, as you mentioned, Aries begins the year. But I start with Aquarius because that's kind of the beginning of our year, which is stupid. Because our year starts in the winter, which has never been the case before. The year always started in Aries at the beginning of spring when things came back to life, or the Egyptians during Virgo. That That's why I pointed year. out. That's why I pointed out the misnomer of the uh, the the currently used calendar at the beginning. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, that's fine. Okay. So, Aquarius is the man pouring the water out of the water pitcher, like you see in this picture. It goes back to the story of Zeus and the young boy. So the story goes like this. Zeus saw a young boy on Earth, a 14-year-old blonde boy on Earth. 
And what he did was he wanted him in heaven. So he bargained with the boy's father. The father didn't want him to go. But eventually, after giving him a bunch of things, material things, the boy was allowed to go to heaven. Zeus takes the boy up to heaven. While in heaven, (coughs) the boy is serving the gods out of this water pitcher, a drink called ambrosia, which was the nectar of the gods. He's doing this day in and day out. Eventually, he gets fed up with it. What he does is he goes to the side of heaven, and he pours it out, just like in this picture. And it causes a great flood on earth. That's where the Greeks get their flood story from. Remember, everyone has a flood story. Zeus, who is very, uh, he's an angry god. He's a very temperamental god. He was going to punish him. But he had a rare moment of self-reflection where I guess he realized what he had done. And instead of punishing him, he immortalizes him as the constellation Aquarius. So that's Aquarius. So there's keywords. Son of man or man, because Aquarius is a sign of the man, whereas Virgo is the sign of the woman. Baptism, because this is how you baptize someone, literally like this. Water pitcher, because this is a water pitcher. Fountain, because a lot of the Greeks had fountains that were built like this. Stream, river, pond, lake, ocean, sea, water bodies. Why? There's water in the picture. Now, Aquarius is an air sign. Um, It's not actually a mutable water sign. However... Because there's water in this picture, they allow it to depict water, and they've used it in the Bible, whereas Pisces here is the sign of the two fish in the water. Pisces is actually a mutable sign. It is a water sign. So the same water example, stream, river, pond, lake, sea, ocean, happened with Pisces. Now, whether they're talking about water with Aquarius or water with Pisces depends on the patterns that these codes are going to show, because they will always show patterns right just quickly here just quickly before you move on to aries which is the next picture you have here you have a uh the the, uh image of the ram and all this i want to get into that but before you move on you know the the idea of water and the fact that uh all things are born of water um you and i both born of water he's talking about the ship the birth the out of your mother's water everything yep you know, the water breaks and you come through the birth canal and all of these things are aquatic terms, uh, whether they're medical or they're just descriptive. Uh, you know, just saying again that in plain sight, the language is there. Um, so just a point I wanted to make and also give you a chance to take a drink and a breath, too. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> it's OK. So Aries is the ram. And in Aries, you have March 21st, which is the spring equinox. It's a 12 hour day. It's a 12 hour night. There's also three different kinds of Passovers that take place during Aries. The first one is the astrotheological, which is the oldest. March 21st is the day that the sun physically passes over the equator and starts to make its way back up to its height in the summer solstice. In Judaism, the Passover is when the angel of death passes over the houses. And anyone that doesn't have, again, the lamb or the ram, The lamb is a baby ram. The lamb's blood smeared on the doorpost because the Jews are the people of Aries. Their firstborn sons get killed. In Christianity, this whole thing gets changed, and it becomes the resurrection of God's son. So there's keywords, ram, lamb, shepherd, or ram's horn. That's Aries. 
Taurus is the bull. When you look at the sky and you see Taurus during the season where it's supposed to be, you know that you need to put the plow on the bull so that you can plant the seeds so you can harvest in Virgo and Libra. Remember, this is a farmer's almanac. So whenever you're talking about bull, ox, calf, or cow, cow being the female bull, by the way, you're talking about Taurus. It's also valid to mention that you see the transition between Aries and, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the transition between Aries, the ram, into Taurus, the bull, well, you can see that in many um, of the uh, Old Testament stories because what happens, the man who is represented by the ram, who has the ram's horn, is then being they're trying to replace his uh, his way of instructing the people. What do they come out with? The story of the golden calf, right? So they're bringing out the golden calf. They're bringing out the bull trying to say, it's no longer time for Aries. It's now time for Taurus. No, 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 no. It's reversed. <laughs> it's reversed because it's a procession. Moses goes <coughs> Moses goes up there. So in, in theory, you're right. I'm going through these signs as if you were talking about that. Aquarius, Pisces, right? Right. If you're talking about the ages, it's procession it goes backwards so what it is is they're worshiping the golden calf the gold is the sun the calf <coughs> is the bull they were worshiping the wrong time period moses is bringing down the law of aries so you had it backwards but i know what you were talking about yeah well i put it backwards on purpose so that you would go and explain that the procession <laughs> works the other way <laughs> fourth wall break there uh yeah i set things up for a reason like that but but go ahead all right uh, so I'm jim and i Gemini, which we're in now, is the twins. It's the story of Castor and Pollux Troy, whose sister was Helen of Troy. It's the story of Achilles. This is another Greek story. So whenever you hear twins or brothers, you're talking about Gemini. Cancer is the crab. And the crab <coughs> is the sideways moving creature. It shuffles side to side. So just as the sun rises a degree, so what the sun does, is starting on December 25th, it's going to rise a degree on its axis. On December 26th, another degree. On the 27th, another degree. Every day, another degree. When it hits June 21st, it's going to not rise a degree or lower a degree because June 21st is the height. That's the summer solstice. What it then does is it walks sideways like the crab and stays at that exact height for three days. Where then on June 25th, it's going to drop a degree. And then the next day, another degree. And then every single day, another degree till it hits December 21st, where, which is the winter solstice. The ancients would look out into the sky. They would say God's sun was dead because the sun wouldn't crack the horizon on that short, short day. And then what it does is it walks sideways for three days again. So suddenly God's sun was dead for three days. We're on December 25th or the birth of all these gods, Tammuz. Horus, Osiris, all of them. They're all born on December 25th. And that would be essentially because no matter what, the sun begins to rise again. It's born again. That lateral lateral position up again in the sky. And in the other direction, as you said, it, it, it descends all the way until it finally falls to its lowest point. So th- th- this is what the actual procession in the sky is. Now, it's fascinating because I- I've had people argue about when, you know, when uh, the Christ figure is actually born and all that. Yeah, they uh, say that, right? They'll say they'll say the Feast of the Tabernacles. They'll say September 11th. They'll say during Passover. They'll say during Aries. It doesn't matter. 
The Bible, if you read it literally, is a story that is based on a very real science. This is the science behind it. So I don't really give a shit. When they say Jesus was born, it doesn't matter because he's supposed to be born on December 25th like all the other gods because that's the birth of the sun. Hmm. I, so it doesn't I, I, really, I love it doesn't it really matter. You can, argue, you can argue what day he was physically born. It doesn't matter. It's a story. Well, it's and, and the science fun, behind the story. Yes, and the fun part is uh, I know at some point I hope we get far enough in here uh, you're going to explain the whole why does Jesus look like Ted Nugent as uh, Robin Williams used to say, right? Uh, but but please continue. That's that's a little sneak uh, little sure. sneak spoiler there. Go ahead. But the crab moving laterally, all these things they have physical attributes that apply to the astrological symbol as well that have a meaning, right? Yes. Yeah. So the crab in the ancient Egyptian times was known as the scarab. The scarab, the beetle. That's why St. Augustine called Jesus the good beetle, by the way. Um, so whenever you're talking about crab or beetle, that's cancer. Then Leo is the king. He's the lion. He's the king of the jungle, the king of the savannah, the king of the desert, whatever you want to call it. The ruling planet of Leo is actually the sun. So whenever you're talking about lion, lioness, or cub, you're talking about Leo. Now, Virgo is the woman holding the wheat stalk. So remember before when I said that you plant in Taurus? Well, the virgins would go out during Virgo and cultivate the wheat in order to make the bread for the year. Mm-hmm. So whenever you hear virgin, woman, wheat, grain, seed, barley, corn, these are all things that are harvested during Virgo. We talk about the bread and the beer, right? The barley is the beer. The wheat is the bread. <clears throat> Libra is the justice. It's the scales. It's the balance. It's the just one. The reason it's the justice is because it judges God's son as it passes over the fall equinox and begins its descent into winter, into cold, into death. Remember, on the other equinox, it's being heralded. It's being elevated back to its height, to its glory. Here, it's being punished because it's being judged and it's being sentenced to death. The Jews always celebrate their new year around the fall equinox. Now, eight days after the Jewish new year, they have a holiday called Yom Kippur, which is the day of judgment. Of course, the day of judgment happens in Libra, the judge. What happens during Yom Kippur? Well, you fast all day. You don't eat or drink. And what you end up doing is you pray in temple all day that God will keep you in the book of life for another year. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, Libra's also wine season. So when you plant the grapes in Taurus, you press the wine here. Libra's also olive oil season. That's when you press the olives. So all justice, judgment, law, judge, justice, the just one, divorce, marriage, court, lawly things, that's Libra. Wine, vineyard, wine press, grapes, that's Libra. Olive oil and olive oil, that's Libra. And incidentally, in the New Testament, when the three wise men, which represent Orion's belt, bring gifts, what do they bring? 
they bring frankincense and myrrh. Well, frankincense and myrrh are both olive plants, so that takes place during Libra. Then Scorpio is the scorpion, and he is the betrayer. When a scorpion bites you or stings you, it leaves an imprint in your skin that looks like a pair of lips. You can Google this. They have pictures everywhere. It's why the mafia has the kiss of death. It's why Jesus was betrayed by Judas with a kiss. Each one of the zodiac signs corresponds with a disciple. There's 12 disciples, 12 zodiac signs. So the sun is judged in Libra, and it's betrayed in Scorpio. Finally, in Sagittarius, this is where the bow and the arrow shoot the sun and inflict further punishment on the sun. Why? Because the last day of Sagittarius, the sun dies, December 21st. The sun's at its lowest point. It cannot rise any lower. It's dead. And I went over the three days that it walks sideways. God's dead for three, the sun's dead for three days. So whenever you hear horse, bow and arrow, spear, or horseman, you're talking about Sagittarius. And then finally, you have Capricorn, who's the goat, because he likes to climb the mountain. Now, if you look at the zodiac wheel on the right, you'll see Capricorns at the very bottom. So metaphorically, think about it like this. The sun starts at the very bottom of Sagittarius, Capricorn, the, 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 uh, the handover dates. It walks a degree alongside. It starts to climb up the great mountain all the way to the top in Cancer. The reason it's a goat is because the goats climb the mountain better than any other animal out there. That's why it's a goat. So whenever you hear goat or kid, you're talking about Capricorn. So what I've done is I've given you keywords for all of them. Now, I don't expect you to memorize them yet. I don't expect you to remember them, but I will, since I already brought them up to you, bring them up to you again as we look through patterns. So you were asking about Jesus, why he looks like Ted Nugent, right? Right. There's names for Jesus in church that are all astrologically based that they don't want you to know about. Remember, Jesus is the sun. When the sun is in Capricorn, the goat, his name is the scapegoat of Israel. When the sun is in the man sign Aquarius, he is called the son of man. When the sun is in Pisces, the two fish, he is the fisherman of men. And it's also why he feeds the masses with two fish. When the sun is in Aries, the ram, he is called the lamb of God or the good shepherd. When the sun is in Cancer, the scarab, the crab, he is, St. Augustine called Jesus the good beetle. When the sun is in Leo, he is the lion of Judah. The lady holding the stalk of wheat, Virgo, he is born of a virgin, and he is called the bread of life. Libra is the scales of justice. He is known as the just one. Then he's betrayed in Scorpio. He dies in Sagittarius. That's also why he's worshipped on the Sunday. Now, if you look at this picture... Of Jesus on the left. This is a stereotypical picture that I pulled off the internet. This You're going to notice a bunch of things. Now, the sun is always behind Jesus because he represents the sun. Every single picture you find on the internet of Jesus, the sun is behind his head. They're telling you this. The two fingers up like this, what I'm doing, this is the ancient comedic peace sign. This is the original peace sign. So what you're seeing here that I'm doing right now this John Lennon V for Victory, right? That's a Churchill war sign. That's a that's a that's a war sign. Right this now, for Churchill. audio listeners, for audio listeners, just to get this straight, okay, uh, the two fingers together that you often see, which uh, I've often described as a uh, a sign of ascension, uh, where you see the handout, not the buddy Christ with the thumb up, okay. Uh, I, I love that picture though. Just 
I love that. It's comedic. If you've never seen that, but uh, you often see rep- in representations, uh, the most famous representations of the Christ figure, the one hand with the two fingers pointing up, but they're together. The typical peace sign that we're accustomed to seeing, the uh, you were just about to finally explain what that modern peace symbol really is. Uh, and, and you started to, and I cut you off. So go, go ahead, continue. Winston Churchill's V for victory. It's a war sign. The fingers are separate. The fingers together. So whenever you see th- things doing this, you'll see Buddha doing this. You'll see Jesus doing this. You'll see even Baphomet doing this. Whenever these things are showing you this symbol, they're showing you they're peaceful. I know it's crazy, but it's true. Now, the white Jesus picture, his face is actually a guy named Caesar Borgia, who is the bastard son of Pope Alexander VI. Now, Rodrigo Borgia of the Borgia Illuminati family bought his way to the papacy um, in the Middle Ages. And what happened was about 80 years before his coronation, the printing press had come out. So he had decided his son was going to be the face of Jesus. Now, they mass-produced his face. And that's the face that you see, the white face with the beard. That is why. It's because it's Caesar Borgia. Caesar Borgia was a son of a bitch. He slept with his sister and killed his brother. Okay, so it's very Hamlet. Now, the crown of thorns wrapped around the heart on the outside, and the heart is always on the outside, represents the rays of the sun. The heart outside the body represents the toroidal field or the Taurus field. So... If you look at this, look for, these are just random pictures of Jesus, the sun, the sun, the heart, the two fingers. You'll see all of that in every single picture. In the second picture right there, sometimes they put a Knights Templar cross in the sun. It's the same thing. Well, right, because the Knights, the Knights Templar cross, sorry, is, is based on a, a very simple astrological symbol as well, where you have the, uh, the, the, uh, the cross, right? <laughs> anyway, maybe you'll explain that too, but hold on a sec. These typical pictures of Christ, somebody might say, well, all right, Borgia was the initial printing press Jesus. How does it keep happening? How does it keep happening? Very simple explanation. Artist renderings after that were guided by the mass pictures. Uh, So paintings came this way. Some of your pictures here, if if you see, he's got four of them laid out if you're not seeing it. Uh, One of them is very modern, is clearly rendered with uh, modern software and things like that. It's a digital picture. Some of these are digital renderings of earlier artworks. Uh, but either way, they are all guided by the initial image, which was en masse, distributed during that time of the printing press. Right. So and all of that is guided by itself. Sorry, The other thing that you'll notice, too, in these pictures is in three of these pictures, you'll see holes in his hands. And that's not how crucifixion worked. If I were to crucify somebody and, 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 and put a nail through their hands, they would tear through it and fall over. You were crucified through the wrists. So that was just a complete mistranslation. But look at baby Jesus, too. You'll see the sun's behind his head in every single picture. You'll see Polaris, the North Star, in every picture, too. Now, this is the human toroidal field. This is an electromagnetic field of the heart. It goes around your body six feet. That is why the elites during the pandemic tried to keep you six feet apart. It's so that you couldn't interact with anyone. Chuck, if someone comes up behind you, you know they're there. You're not a psychic. They broke your toroidal field. They broke your electromagnetism. 
Now, so I brought up this point. I just, I just want you to know something. I brought up this point quite a bit during that time uh, when, when this was being advised and people were talking about staying six feet apart and they started putting lines on the floors at grocery stores and all this. And I explained that uh, this comes from not just one place of interest, uh, that, that this is a, a concept where within six feet, that is a literal physical connection. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you get the information? that uh, this is the toroidal field. I mean, I'm just curious where you came up with it because you could have come up with it from about 20 different disciplines, some spiritual, some scientific, some pseudoscientific. Well, we have uh, words for it. I mean, some people call it an aura. You could find this anywhere. Yeah. You know, it, 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 this is how it looks right there. It looks like an apple, and you're the core. That's what it looks like. It goes around you six feet. It's an electromagnetic gradient that your heart produces. Right, and that's a six-foot radius from where your heart is. So basically, you you take a six-foot line, extend it outward, and sweep it all the way around you. That is the field. This is why they wanted us more than six feet apart at that time. For what purpose, Micah? Because they wanted to isolate you. They wanted you to fear. They They wanted to live off your louche. They wanted to fear. They wanted you to fear. They wanted you to feel alone. There's a million reasons why they did that. Perfect. Thank you. Go, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Now, this is what it looks like when you're interacting with someone, when your toroidal fields are meeting. And it forms a vesica Pisces in the middle. Now, on the bottom, this right here is Jesus. The guy on the right is Caesar Borgia. They're not spitting images, but you see where he got his face from. This is where it comes from. Now, it's important to know that before the Shroud of Turin was discovered in 525 A.D., Almost all paintings and drawings of Jesus were shown as a young, beardless man. So it has changed over time. So now I'm going to start going into the decodings with the keywords. So have you heard of the phrase, pride comes before the fall? Of course. Can you explain it to everyone? Well, I I could, but I I think I'm going to let you do it because to me, it's just always been one of these common phrases, right? And it's supposed to have biblical roots, but hardly anybody knows where it really comes from uh, if you ask them. But it's common usage, and it has been around, well, pretty much since I ever heard uh, phrases of that sort. So go ahead and you explain it, please. So pride cometh before the fall is meant to to say that if you... Uh, are boastful, are full of ego. Um, if you are not careful in your temperament, you will fall. That's what it means. However, astrotheologically, do you know what a group of lions is called? Yeah, that's a pride. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> a group of lions is called a pride. Pride is the lion. Lion is Leo. Leo is in July and August. That comes before the fall comes right before the fall. So this is the celestial calendar. Now, if I go to Micah 5.2, my namesake, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. When you're talking the Bible with me, it's important that you know how to read and understand Hebrew, which I do. You need to understand the original language because Bethlehem is not a city. I mean, it is a city, but it's not what they're talking about. Bethlehem is a combination of two Hebrew words, bet, which means house, and lechem, which means bread. So the house of bread. 
The house of bread is Virgo, the lady with the wheat stalk. Each zodiac sign is called a house. So what he's really saying is the Savior will come from a virgin. That's how you read this. That's how you're supposed to read this. Hmm. And even the, now, crappiest, the crappiest astrology uh, astrologer possible, and there are crappy astrologers. Uh, I don't mean to bring them into the conversation, but even they recognize uh, this, you know, where you have the different houses and uh, what, you know, they, they should have some idea what they mean, but uh, your, your experience may vary. But even the worst sort of, you know, I'm going to read your star map uh, idiot uh, even understands this. So, I mean, th- this is very pedestrian. You should be able to keep up on this. And I love the fact that there is a modern Bethlehem still, uh, but uh, it does literally mean the house of bread. And I always, I always found that fascinating when I, when I learned that and then started to look at the, uh, the Hebrew a bit more because a whole lot of meanings in the original writing are revealed if you just understand what it initially said and you don't go with just the modern English translation. So go, right. go ahead, make a start. So now I'm going to read you Deuteronomy 32. So bear with me just a sec. He gave them honey from the cliffs and olive oil from the rocky ground. He gave his people butter from the herd and milk from the flock. He gave them lambs and goats. They had the best rams from Bashan and the finest wheat. They drank the best wine made from the juice of red grapes. But Jeshurun became fat and kicked like a bull. So right off the bat, you should be able to pick out a bunch of signs, but let's go into it. He gave them honey from the cliffs. In the sign Cancer, right, the crab, the scarab, there's a group of stars. It's an asterism. It's a small, closely knit group of stars called the beehive cluster. So that's where the honey comes from. Olive oil, that's Libra, olives or Libra. He gave his people butter from the herd and milk from the flock. Well, the milk comes from the Milky Way galaxy, whose center is in Sagittarius. So what this is basically telling you is that from Cancer, the summer solstice, to Sagittarius, the winter solstice, the right hemisphere of the zodiac is your land of milk and honey. It's not a place on Earth. It's in heavens. He gave them lambs, that's Aries, and goats, that's Capricorn. They had the best rams, that's Aries, from Bashan and the finest wheat, lady with the wheat stalk, Virgo. They drank the best wine, that's Libra, made from the juice of red grapes. But Jeshurun became fat and kicked like a bull, that's Taurus. There are ten signs in this one passage, right? This is a very simple cipher that you can apply with yourself to any biblical passage. Now I'm going to show you how to use the Zodiac wheel as we decode things further. Okay. So, Mount of Olives. Jesus led his disciples to the Mount of Olives after his last Passover so he could teach them a few more things. Pray, then wait for Judas to betray him. While walking to the Mount of Olives, he gave the parable of the true vine. So let's break this down. Passover takes place in Aries. So look at the Zodiac wheel. Aries is all the way on the left. Where right after he walks to the Mount of Olives. Well, I told you olives were Libra. That's when they're harvested. How do you get from Aries to Libra? They're opposing signs. You cross the Zodiac. Now you're in Libra. They're waiting for Judas to betray him. Who's the betrayer? That's Scorpio. The scorpion, remember? So you go from Aries to Libra. And then the betrayer is Scorpio. So you go from Aries to Libra, those are opposing signs. Libra to Scorpio, those are, that's the next sign over. So you're making two patterns so far. 
but you're not there because they're waiting for him to betray. While in Libra, he gave the parable of the true vine. Well, that has to do with the grapes and the wine, which is Libra. And that's how you start using the Zodiac to decode things. Not only that, but you will always find that when you start breaking down with this cipher and you break down uh, astrological passages, you'll find that 99% of the time they'll make opposing connections or they'll make uh, neighboring connections. Now, and <clears throat> this is Genesis 1-7. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were above, which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. I didn't mention this to you before. Where are we? we on 34 right now? Okay, let me go back to the zodiac up here. Now, the firmament, they will have you believe, like in Psalm 19.1, right? They will have you believe that the firmament is a, is a dome over a flat earth. It's not. It's a mistranslation. People don't know what they're talking about. The firmament is actually, if you look at the zodiac wheel, it's the dividing lines between signs. That's the firmament. That's what they're talking about. Now, these lines don't actually exist, but what they actually represent is some people call them cusps. Some people call them handover dates. There's different words to differentiate. It's a three-day period in one sign. And then a three-day period in the next sign where their energies blend. It's a handover date. So that's what the firmament is. So let me show you how this works. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. The waters are Aquarius and Pisces. The waters under the firmament would be Pisces. The water above the firmament would be Aquarius. This is the firmament that divides the two waters people hmm. think that there's water in the heaven it's not that's not what it is it's not a flat dome over a flat earth or a dome over a flat earth this is what it is this is how this is what they're talking about now in revelation 4 7 and i'm jumping from book to book to right. show you that it's in every single book so the first living creature was like an it was like a lion the second was like an ox the third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. The first living creature was like a lion. That's Leo. The second was like an ox. That's Taurus. The third had a face like a man. That's Aquarius. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Now I have to explain the eagle part to you. In astrology, the Scorpio scorpion is the belly crawling creature. It's the lowest form of life on earth. It slithers on its belly. It's a punishment. The same thing happened in uh, Genesis with the serpent after the deception, with the apple, God took away his legs. That was the first thing he did. So he had to crawl on his belly. It's a punishment. However, it's known as the ascendant, but the evolved form of the scorpion is the eagle, which is the highest flying form of life on earth. So the eagle becomes Scorpio. So when you understand that, you understand that Leo, Taurus, Aquarius, and Scorpio are the four fixed signs of the zodiac. You have three different types of signs. You have four seasons, and you have three signs in each. That makes 12. What are the three signs? Well, the first sign in a season is known as the cardinal sign. That's why there's cardinals at church. Each sign can be broken down into three 10-day segments called deacons. That's why you have deacons and cardinals in church, because it's all astrology. Uh, and a deacon would, would probably lend itself to the fact that there's Deca, and that's 10. So there you go. Yeah, go 10 days. Yep. 
three time day segments. Yeah. Now the second sign is the fixed sign, and it's called the fixed sign because it's fixed in the season. Leo is in the middle of summer, Taurus spring, Aquarius winter, and Scorpio or the eagle fall. The third sign is the mutable sign. It's the water sign that takes you out of out of the season. <clears throat> Let's read this one more time. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Is there really a four-headed creature that's going to be in the sky during the end of days? Or, if you notice, Leo, the lion, and Aquarius, the man, are opposing signs. And Taurus and Scorpio are opposing signs. So is there a four-headed creature in the sky, or is it just making this pattern on the zodiac? It appears to me as though we're just making the pattern. We're laying out the wheel is what we're doing and giving you an orientation for it so that you can figure it out. Now, an interesting thing to note here is that the eagle is also constantly used by uh, by those that uh, claim to be of divine uh, origin, right? So the, right. the higher form of the uh, of the scorpion is always the eagle, and uh, whether it's Alexander the Great or it's uh, the Nazis or it's America, whatever, it is the high symbol, is it not? Right. And what, you, what you actually, what I forgot to mention, actually, that's very important too, is that the scorpion evolves into the eagle as the ascendant, but the eagle evolves one more time. It becomes the phoenix. And what is the story of the phoenix? The phoenix is a flaming ball of life like the sun that metaphorically dies and is reborn from its ashes, just like the sun does through its cycle. You know, the uh, the eagle, the the eagle on the money for uh, the United States. It's actually a phoenix. It's not an eagle. Oh, so, there you go. Because they would obviously go to the highest of signs when they can. But in in the yeah. meantime, the more recognizable symbol for a lot of people to uh, signify that something is anointed on a high level is the eagle. Quite often, which is why it's very common as well. Right. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, Ezekiel 10.14, they say, they say the same thing. Each of the cherubim had four faces. One face was that of a cherub. The second, the face of a human being. The third, the face of a lion. The fourth, the face of an eagle. How about Revelation 12? Let's do Revelation again, because people take this sign as being very serious. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. A woman clothed with the sun is a metaphor. It just means the sun is in Virgo. It's just a metaphor. If the sun is in Virgo, the moon will be at her feet. So to understand this, you have to understand the sky clock. There's 12 zodiac signs. There's a 24-hour-a-day period. So each, so the sun spends two hours a day in each sign. Now, if you do the math from the zodiac wheel, you'll find that Virgo is between 4 and 6 p.m. That's when the sun is still out. So if the sun is still out, then the moon is at our feet. It's a metaphor. Whereas if the moon is up, the sun is at our feet. Now, another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous dragon. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. On the left, you'll see the constellation Draco, which is the dragon. Its tail goes from Aries to Sagittarius, which is four-twelfths of the signs or one-thirds of the stars out of the sky. So are they just talking about star poetry, or is there going to be a dragon that eats a woman in the heavens during the end of days? 
well, clearly, metaphorically, it's it's the the stars. We're talking about the stars, and that's the thing is throughout the Bible, and we're coming close to the end of where it is. I I, I was going to talk to you tonight, and uh, I want to thank you for taking so much time to go through all this. Um, I feel as though we're going to need to go further and have a couple of these, if you don't mind, Mike. <laughs> sure. Because uh, this I'll is take really up right where we left off. You know, we we I would love to continue right from where we end up leaving off, and you you can choose where to uh, where to come to a natural break here. But this is very important because uh, look, outside of the astrological wheel, there are many signs that are in the sky that are often mentioned, and those get ignored in the Bible all the time. Uh, which is funny to me because again, it's not you know which part of the Bible is astrological, which part of it isn't is the bigger question because it's either a metaphor or a direct description. And if you actually read it properly, um, well, you start to determine certain things about it. Even kind of like my quote about John Dominic Crisson that I gave you earlier. There you go. And, and you were talking about how you could keep studying it over and over again. And I've heard that from, you know, very dogmatically Christian uh, theologists over the years, you know, that uh, there is no end to the study of the Bible. Uh, about this, they are correct. Now, about many other things, you know, as far as putting saddles on dinosaurs and stuff, well, you know, look, we, we, we all, we're all human. <laughs> That's correct. But uh, maybe there's a story there, too. Um, please continue, and, and like I said, we'll come to a natural stop, and before we're done, okay. I want you to remind everybody once again where to go get your eight-book series, uh, that children's book, we're going to have to talk about that, you and me. I'll, I'll text you about it. Yeah, text. Do you have my number? Text me. Yeah. Okay, so let's do Revelation 7-4. Then I okay. heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now, this isn't so much astrotheology as this is affected from the Eastern studies. Whereas the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that only 144,000 people are predetermined. They actually believe it's 12,000 people from 12 tribes and only 144,000 go to heaven. They get to go see God, 144,000. I'm going to show you how everyone gets to go see God as part of the 144,000. So really, you're familiar with the show. Note, really quick side note here, Mike. I just want to throw this out there for the audience and, and maybe for you if you don't know this. You did, did you know that Jordan Maxwell kind of started out life as a uh, – <laughs> As a Jehovah's Witness? So did Santos Benacci. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he uh, obviously his his understanding evolved quite a bit later on, but I'm just saying that's how he started out life. Uh, I, I always found that fascinating that he was one of these guys that believed in this kind of stuff because, again, they get a lot of things right, but uh, they get way more wrong. Well, uh, I mean, think, think about it, Chuck. What is rat poison? What is rat poison, right? What is rat poison? You think rat poison is just cyanide? It's not. Rat poison is 99% food. It's 99% for your soul. But there's that 1% that'll kill you, which is what a lot of these people out there are giving you. Precisely. So, no, excellent analogy. Thank you. Uh, anyway, continue on. Because we're, we're in, if you're not seeing this visually, we're uh, in Revelation 7-4, looks like to me. So, yeah. um, let's see. And, and uh, then I heard the number of those who were sealed. What, what is that? Sealed. Okay, yeah, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And right. and there you go. Doesn't that leave out a whole bunch of other people, though? Uh, because not everybody is necessarily from the tribes of Israel, too, right? Well, these are the people that go see God. But uh, let me ask you a question. Are you familiar with the chakras? Yes. Okay. 
All right, so let's do this. There are seven chakras. The root is yeah, the four petals. Um, just, just really quickly, I'm familiar with the Kundalini idea, the the seven, you know, the seven positions and then the, and the crown and the different meanings, the throat, uh, all of it. Obviously, and we're not going to cover that here, but uh, maybe we'll get into it later. Sorry, please continue. That's fine. There are seven chakras. The root has four petals. The sacral has six. The solar plexus has ten. The heart has 12 and the throat has 16, which equals 48. The third eye chakra is represented by 96 and only has two petals because it's two times as powerful as the lower chakras. So 48 times two is 96. The crown chakra is a thousand times more powerful than the lower six. When you add the lower six, you get 96 plus 48 equals 144. You multiply it by the crown chakra, a thousand, you get your 144,000. What they're telling you is when you've activated all your chakras, that is when you get to go see God. When your pineal gland explodes and comes to life, that is when you get to go see God. It is not a fixed number of people that's predetermined to go to heaven. Everyone has the ability to go see God. And I'm, I'm, I'm winding down right now. But um, if I were to tell you, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, Matthew ten sixteen. Well, the sheep is Aries, and the wolf is the constellation Lupus, who borders the Libra line. Look at this pattern it makes. They're opposing signs. It's all poetry. So I've given examples of astrotheology in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. I've been accused of cherry-picking verses from the Bible to prove a point. So let's take a much longer passage and see if we could decode it as well. And I will end after this, okay? Perfect. I will end after this. So this brings us to the book of Job. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It was put where it was located. It's older than Genesis, and people don't know this. It's older than Genesis, the creation story. The book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It was put there in 100 AD at something known as the Synod of Jamnia, which is where um, a bunch of rabbis got together to canonize the Bible. This was in 100 AD, because believe it or not, by 100 AD, by 100 AD, the Old Testament wasn't in order. They did, the books were all over the place. So an interesting thing happened, too, during the Synod. See, 30 years prior to the Synod, in 70 AD, there was a gospel out that came out called the Gospel of Mark, which is the oldest gospel. And this was written around the same time of the destruction of the Second Temple. Now, during the Synod of Jamnia, they were deliberating whether or not to include the Gospel of Mark in the Old Testament. So if you think that people haven't manipulated or done things with the Bible, it doesn't take away from how brilliant it is, but it's human, is what it is. Now, the book of Job is a story about a man who has everything. And Satan goes up to God and says, look, if you take away his stuff, he's going to curse you. And God takes the bet. He tells Satan, you can do whatever you want to him, but you cannot take his life. So little by little, he loses family, animals, money, home. You know, he's got boils. He's sitting down there on a rock and he's crying to God for like pages and pages and pages. God answers him. What I'm going to read you is God's answer to him, and it's all astrology. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the first sentence, which is what the Bible says, and then the second sentence is how you're supposed to read it. So Job 38, 32, the first thing he says, God says, is can you lead forth the Maseroth? They purposefully do not translate this word into English, into any other language. They leave it as Maseroth, and people don't know. Maseroth literally means the Zodiac. Over time, Mazaroth becomes Mazalot, which survives in Judaism today as Mazaltov, 
You know how old Mazel Tov is. Right. Mazel Tov means good fortune from the stars. That's all it means. So what is the Lord's challenge to Job? The first two are obvious celestial metaphors. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Those are obvious celestial metaphors. The rest are encoded, though. Can you bring forth the constellation in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? The constellations are the zodiac above. The bear and its cubs are Ursa Major, the great bear, and Ursa Minor, part of the Big Dipper. Who can tip over the water jars of heaven? Who's tipping over a water jar in heaven? That's Aquarius. Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger for the lions? That's Leo. Who provides food for the raven? That's the constellation Corvus, which means raven and borders on Virgo. Do you watch where the doe bears her fawn? Mariga, meaning deer, is located in Orion. Orion is located between Gemini and Taurus. Who let the wild donkey go free? That's the Celis Borealis, meaning donkey, and is located in Cancer. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? That's Taurus. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. That's Lambda Achille, or Al-Thaliman, which means two ostriches in Arabic. Do you give the horse its strength? So we know it's a horse, so we know it's Sagittarius, because that's the only sign with the horse. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver, that's where it is right there. The quiver. What is a quiver? It sits next to the horse, and it holds the arrows. Sagittarius is the man with the bow and the arrow, along with the flashing spear and the lance. Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? There's a constellation called Aquila, which is the Latin name for eagle, and is a few degrees along the celestial equator. Finally, he says, can you pull in Leviathan with the fish hook? Leviathan is a fish god. That's Pisces, the fish. This is all astrology. His entire challenge to Job is, do you know the Nazareth? Do you know the Zodiac? And do you understand where I've put all these stars? That's it. That's what it is. And I think that's a good place to, uh, to pause. I think so too. And, uh, here we go. That is absolutely the answer to the, uh, the angry emails that I know I'll get because, uh, they, they always come whenever, whenever I attempt to discuss the symbolism and, uh, the astrological basis of these things, whether I did it with Jordan or I had Santos on here, or anybody, it, it, it was irrelevant. Uh, I actually teach for Santos. Yeah, well, Santos, tell him I said hello. He, he, he might not even remember me after all these years. <laughs> well, but this is, Chuck, this is why my website's called debunkme.com, because I've had a standing offer for three years for somebody to come on my channel and tell me how I'm wrong, and not one single person has. Well, I'll tell you this personally, uh, after having studied this in various ways and, and only getting guidance from Jordan over the past 10 years <laughs> or so, uh, well, eh, the past nine, let's say, uh, I'll tell you that uh, you're, you're not wrong. Uh, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with I, I got a couple of questions maybe, you know, like how it is we have a horse and a goat together. I, I don't think I've ever found the answer for that one when it comes to Sagittarius. Uh, but, uh, the majority of what it is that you're showing here, uh, again, we, we can see the bastardized versions of this in religion. We can see it in the, uh, the very strange kind of, uh, industry that's out there regarding, uh, uh astrologists, air quotes, okay? Um, <laughs> you know, who, who are, are bless, bless their hearts, as they say in the South. Uh, you know, trying to do something positive, but are misreading a great deal because, they're not allowing themselves to uh, to just see what's there in front of them. Uh, even in the mistranslations, the reality is still there. 
And, uh, and I think this is very accessible and I, I look forward to doing more of this with you. Micah Dank, one more time, debunkme.com. That's what it's called. Debunkme.com website, um, has all, has my YouTube, all my social media handles, a way to email me, my books, merchandise, everything. And, and I just want to throw in one more thing, Chuck. I get people telling me all the time, you're, 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 you're using English. You know, that's not how it originally was. Okay. I can read Hebrew and I understand Hebrew to begin with. So there is that, that. The other thing is, is that when they translate from language to language, I don't care if it's from Greek to Aramaic to Hebrew to German to whatever they do, they're not translating the words that come up when they ask for sacrifices of goats, of rams of bulls that's capricorn that's aries that's taurus aries and taurus are connecting signs on the zodiac they're not translating or mistranslating the animals or the people or the key words for example in hebrew right uh the commandment says thou shalt not murder but in the king james bible they changed it to thou shalt not kill well you can kill an animal Killing and murdering is very different things. That is the kind of thing that you can make an argument that they're mistranslating and you're missing the information. My cipher is not touched. They're not missing those words. Right. I mean, you, you certainly wouldn't argue that, uh, look, at the very beginning, Genesis 1, uh, you, you have an instance where most people say that it says that, you know, the one voice of God says this. And meanwhile, if you read the Hebrew, um, sorry, that's a chorus of voices. Yeah, it's borrow. Yeah, I mean, and it's right there in the original, but it doesn't change what it actually what actually happens. It just changes the character there. But like you said, it doesn't change any of the symbols because right. all of those have been preserved from one language to another. Right. Uh, you can understand horse from one language to another, and you can just look at a concordance or you know one of those basic you know translate uh, on Google at this point. Uh, what does sure. this word mean in this language? Uh, and you'll see it for yourself. The animals are still there. The symbols are still there. The numbers are still there. Uh, even though, again, there are errors like, like the two that you and I just brought up. Right. I mean, right. so there are mistranslations. They're, they are present. You're not saying that there aren't any present. But what you're saying is, is that the crux of what you're presenting here, uh, absolutely stands no matter how it has been translated and reinterpreted. Correct. 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 Nobody is arguing a translation of the word goat. Nobody's like, it's not going from goat to like lion or goat to shepherd or goat to fish. It's not, no, but you know, these, these words are, are fixed. Right. And that's the thing is much like the, the symbols themselves, when you have the wheel in front of you, they are fixed in an order. Now you may argue as to where they should begin. Uh, like quite honestly, I, I would argue that, uh, where, where they place the beginning of, uh, the procession on the yearly, uh, you know, the yearly procession. And there's a little problem there, but that's because of our calendar. <laughs> Again, as we brought up at the very beginning. But Micah Dank, I think this is a, a very good place to start. I'm so glad. I, I, I have a bit of a nostalgic feeling because it reminds me of uh, some very early conversations I had with Jordan and some other people. Uh, and I really hope that you'll come back again and educate us some more. Uh, by the way, we only got maybe halfway through this uh, one presentation Correct. that Micah does tonight, uh, which uh, which I also have seen him do another way. I've seen some of these images before and everything else. Uh, it took a little bit of time to study that, but really great stuff, and, uh, and, and I'm really happy to have you along, and, and thank you for taking the time with us. Well, thank you for having me on. 
Anyway, the Ocelli effect is done. So no matter who you are, where you are, when you are, uh, I hope you're well. And remember this, I'm merely Ocelli. All of you are indeed the effect. Oh, and last little shout out. I'm wearing an erroneous method hat, which I just got in the mail today. Uh, but uh, my hats are coming out soon. If you're a supporter of the network, they're going to go out as thank you gifts. So uh, by all means, contact me about that. But no matter who you are, where you are, when you are, I am really Ocelli. All of you are indeed the effect. Good night. The views expressed by callers, tools, or anyone else who happens to get on the air at Ocelli.com do not necessarily reflect the views of Ocelli.com or Chuck Ocelli. And we are not responsible for any stupidity which might ensue. Thank you. Ocelli.com. WallStreetWindow.com. Gold. Silver. The stock market. WallStreetWindow.com. Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started. WallStreetWindow.com Michael Swanson, the brilliant author of The War State, understood these trends professionally for many years, and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge. WallStreetWindow.com Go there now. Go there now. Go there now. Go there now. In Denial Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks by Larry Hancock. Secret Wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. Larry Hancock's book, In Denial, rips the cover off many of them. Using new files, it exposes things about the Bay of Pigs that no one has ever written about before. It shows why it really failed and why the United States did not learn from it. Secret Wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. It also shows why other countries today are doing secret operations with more success. This is the book that puts what some want to deny into the light. In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks. Larry Hancock. For more information, go to Larry-Hancock.com. Pick up your copy of In Denial at Amazon.com in digital or physical form. Every time I put it on my face, I'm able to breathe just a little bit deeper. What are people saying about MyTrueEssence.net? I'm going to tell you something serious, man. I just want to tell you, listeners, I bought some uh, some of that modifiline from uh, Christy, and she gave me she got, she got made me up some of this emu oil mixed with some other stuff. I don't know what's in it, but I like the way it smells. And I uh, started putting it on, rub, rubbing it on my foot, rubbing it on my knee, and, like, the second day, I didn't, you know, I, I just noticed it. I'm walking around. I'm like, damn, my knee is loose. I can tell you that that, that oil you gave me helped me with my carpal and my shoulder problem. And if it wasn't, I couldn't even, I, I wouldn't be working. My ankles are just really, really pesky and bother me. And I'm telling you, the pain just went away. This oil's rule. And when I put that on, it's just, it's like my skin came alive. MyTrueEssence.net